as I have briefly written already, by which you, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. Verse 8, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see that it is the, what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you once again for another day, another day that you've given us to praise and worship you, to learn more about you, your will, and your ways for us. We thank you for giving us this day to be with our loved ones and to enjoy the life that you've given us. And now, Father, thank you for bringing us to this body of believers that you made us to be a part of, that you've chosen for us. Thank you for still allowing us to gather physically and providing this building for us. We now, Lord God, ask you to again speak to us through your word, teach us through your Holy Spirit, guide us, and give us wisdom. Again, Lord, please anoint me, anoint my lips, give me the words to say, give me wisdom, Father God. I cannot do anything, Lord God, apart from you. Bless my preparations, but at the same time, Father God, supersede it. Just use me as your vessel. Forgive us, Lord, for all of our sins. Let nothing, Lord God, about us, what we've done, what we've said, what we haven't done, what we haven't said, hinder you from using us and from speaking to me, through me, and speaking to your people. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay, so... What's the big deal? That's the verse. So we have two topics tonight. You know, because I was subjected to eight hours uh, there where you are right now. I was subjected to eight hours yesterday and the day before that. And um, I was like, wow, eight hours. So, you know, it's pretty good. It was a pretty good training. Uh, so tonight I'll be nice four hours, okay? <laughs> No, two, two points, two points. What, the, the what and the why of what we read, the what and the why. First, we're going to be tackling verse 3 and 4, uh, verse, verse 1 and 2. No, verse, why do I have this? We're going to be tackling verse 2, the dispensation. Now, the question is what? What is dispensation? This one underlined the dispensation of the grace of God. You should be wondering, right, when you read through it, like, what is dispensation? For those of you who are biblical Bible buffs, you, you know what it is. For, but the most of us, the many of us, we don't know. What is dispensation? 
the method or scheme according to which God carries out His purposes towards men is called dispensation. Okay? The real, the word okonomeia, which is economy, derived from the word, that's why we got the word economy. It's how things are administered. It's how it's dispensed in the stewardship. A dispensation is a period of time during which man is tested in respect of obedience to some specific revelation of the will of God. Now, there's seven such dispensation in our distinguished in the scripture. This is by Charles C. Ryrie. So this is just not me making it up, guys. All right. So seven. There's seven. That's what it means. The first dispensation is innocence. We'll talk about it later. We'll just go through the list. Conscience, human government, patriarchal court rule, law, grace, and millennium. And I'm going to explain it. Innocence, the dispensation of innocence. This is the first dispensation in any legitimate scheme. Now, guys, if you have more questions about dispensation, take me aside later or text me or call me. We'll talk more about it because there's a lot of it behind it. We're just going to go real fast. I, I, like I said, four hours tonight. So dispensation is any legitimate scheme is the economy in which God gave only one rule and had the closest relationship with humans that he has ever had or will have until the new heavens and new earth. The one rule given was not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The judgment for failure to obey this rule is the curse found in Genesis 3. The time period covered by this dispensation is from creation to the fall. This dispensation can be found in greater detail in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 until chapter 3 until verse 6. Now this dispensation, the one, one rule, one command, destroys the thinking or the argument of people which would they say if only i had the perfect parents and if only i had the perfect situation right both adam and eve were healthy they had everything they needed right and they they had eyes for each other only right yeah they don't have anybody else that's right which was a good situation for anybody. They have everything they needed. They only had one command. Now, this dispensation shows mankind that even if he had a perfect situation, he had a perfect family situation, he's still a sinner who will rebel against God and wander away into his own error. This dispensation cancels the argument the reason why I am so messed up is because of my parents. Because Adam and Eve didn't have any parents. Whose phone is that? <laughs> conscience. Dispensation of conscience. After the fall of man in Genesis 3, a new economy was ushered. All right? Another economy was ushered in that latest almost 2,000 years according to the young earthers, and even longer according to the old earthers. This period of conscience is the longest dispensation that is recorded in its entirety in the Bible, but has very little text devoted to it. It could be argued that, that its judgment is the greatest, 
There is very little known about the dispensation of conscience as only three chapters in the Bible describe it. And most of those chapters are filled with genealogies. All that is clear is that the judgment was great and it seems to be that rules were very simple. The judgment was the, Noah's, the Noah, Noah flood, the flood during Noah's time. It says in Genesis 6 that it was brought about because God saw that every intent of the thoughts of man, of man's heart, was only evil continually. It is after this revelation that the Lord determines to blot out man from the, fa the face of the earth, which logically means that if there were even a few thoughts of man's heart that were good instead of evil, the judgment would have not come. This leads to the assumption that the rule during this period was to do good and not evil. But still, every man did evil. Now, this dispensation shows and cancels the statement that people, that people make these days. This is it. If we could just follow our own conscience and let everyone do his own thing, we would all live in harmony. Follow your heart. Now, during this time, the world was filled with such violence and sexual abnormality that giants were produced on the earth. So perverted was the planet that only one man had an interest in walking righteously and responding to God. That's in Genesis 6-8. Third, government. This lasted 425 years from the flood to the Tower of Babel. During this time, God established the first governmental order based upon capital punishment. You read Exodus 21, 23 to 24. Man decided to add to God's order by undertaking the first governmental building project, the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11 tells us that it was constructed with bricks and slime, a fitting description for the venture that ended in disaster. Because they were being pride, proud, uh, prideful. They wanted to build the tower and they wanted to be great as God. Fourth, patri uh, patriarchal rule. I can't say it. Let's just say rule. The change in government during the dispensation of this rule marked a narrowing of God's vision for humanity. Until this time, God had dealt, God had dealt with humanity as a whole. But during this dispensation, God chooses a single man and his descendants to work through instead of giving instructions to everyone. The responsibility during this dispensation was to believe and serve God. This is clearly seen in instances like the near sacrifice of Isaac, talk about Abraham, and the covenant and promise of land, seed, and blessing to Abram. The time period covered in this dispensation is from choosing of Abram or the Tower of Babel, the tobacco be behind that, and all the way to the giving of the law to Moses. Now, fifth, law lasted approximately 1,500 years from Exodus to the cross of Calvary. There are those who think if man just had some rules and regulations, he'd be okay. Right? So God gave man the law. There are still those who think that if they could just find the right how-to book, life would make sense. 
but the law was wonderfully sensible and beautifully practical. The only problem with it is that man can't keep it. Grace. Dispensation of grace. Now this is where we're at. The dispensation of grace is where we're at. And then the millennium is, is the final dispensation and the normative scheme. After the great tribulation and the resulting second advent of Christ, the millennium will be established during this dispensation, 1,000 years. The job of humanity will be to follow commands of the King, Jesus Christ Himself. Many will fail to do this as in all other dispensations and the final judgment will be held. The great white throne judgment, which is a judgment not only for failure in the current dispensation, but also for all people in every dispensation. The punishment will be final and eternal and great glory and justice will be done through it. Now going back to grace, which is where we're at. This is what Paul said in what we read. Are you guys excited yet? This is what Paul said, and this is the one that we are in now. This brings us to the place where we realize neither innocence nor conscience, government or rule, vision or regulations will save us. The dispensation of grace is God saying to us, are you listening? I love you. I love you to the point that I died for your sin. I am real. I rose from the dead. And if you confess your need of me with your mouth and believe me in your heart, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. That's where we're at right now. Is it clear? Now you can get out from this and then you can say, hey, do you know what dispensation we're in? You can tell your friends that. <laughs> what? How that revelation he made known to the mystery. Now, there's another thing that is a question leading you to a question. What's the mystery? What mystery is Paul talking about? The mystery, he had made known to me the mystery. The, the mystery is the church. Nothing in the Old Testament speaks about the church. All the prophets that Paul, during Paul's time and as Paul studied the Old Testament, nothing in those scriptures mentioned the church. It was only in the New Testament, and it started in Acts 2, when the church was established. And then Paul is revealing that. That's the mystery that he's talking about. The church was unknown in the Old Testament or the Gospels. And it was not fully revealed until Acts 2, and not ex explained until Paul began his mission. The heart and soul of the mystery of the church is that Jews and Gentiles are now joined in one body. The Gentiles, us, are fellow heirs with the Jews, fellow members of God's household, and fellow partakers of His promise, if you receive Jesus Christ, of course. And in verse 7, Paul was a minister not because of his piety. You see here, of which I became a minister. Now, a minister is, is usually seen by us now during our time as a position. Now, it's not a position, really. If you look at this, the, the intention of this is to tell us the, 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 the word came from uh, the deacon, which means to serve. So Paul is not calling himself a position, but telling him his responsibility. 
He is to serve the people, the Gentile world, the gospel. Now, most of us, we want that title because we're just title grabbers. That's just our nature, right? We want those letters behind our name, under our signature and our email. But this minister here is to serve. Paul, now he says here, Paul was not a minister because of his piety, his spirituality, or his ability. The means of Paul's ministry was singular, and it was singularly, he was focused in one thing, and it was grace. It was grace. His focus was to serve Christ and to share the grace that is available for the Gentiles, for everyone. Now, in Colossians 1, 25-27, Paul talks about his calling, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In 2 Timothy 1.11, it reads, To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now, who chose Paul? God chose Paul. And then we know that Paul, every time when he says, He who called me is the one that's going to empower me. Now, I'm going to jump into our chapter 4 in Ephesians, that everybody has a calling. All the Christians have a calling. Do you know that? All of us have a calling. And what's that calling? To live a holy life, glorifying to His name. Now, it is God. If He called you to do that, who's going to empower you? God, right? So, the, the failure is this. We think we need to be perfect. Right? We think we need to be perfect. And we forgot that it was the perfect God that called us. It's a, perf- it's a perfect God that will empower us to live holy lives for Him. Now that's why it's grace. Because grace, we can't live it. Right? We can't live perfect lives. Somebody did say that, you know, there are some people in other faiths faith that are nicer than born-again Christians. That's true. There are atheists too that are good people. There are Muslims that are good people. Compared to us, right? But us being born again Christians, we're not saying we're perfect. We're not saying we're better than them. What we're saying as we became, because we became born again Christians, this is what we're saying. We admitted that we are not perfect. We admitted that we are sinners. And we admitted that we need a Savior. And we admitted and we received the gift that Jesus is offering to us. The gift of salvation. Amen? Amen. So don't be bothered when somebody, when some other people will tell you, well, there are other nicer people than you guys. Agree. You're right. Yes, that's so true. I have plenty of friends that are nicer than me. <laughs> I do. Right? But it's, it's not, I mean, I, I saw them. I saw them in a party yesterday. And they're so good to remind me who I was before Christ. And they were telling my children, do you want to hear about your dad, how he lived in the 90s? 
Well, we can tell you stories. They were telling Alonzo and Gianna. They were teasing them. And there's this one particular guy that he would not really take it. He said, this is all fake. There's no way that you've changed. And I told everybody in the room, this is that one friend that doesn't want his friend to change. This is him. <laughs> you know, I mean, am I any better? If I'm, if I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I say, am I any better? Because I, I did start questioning myself last night, you know. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I looked at myself before I went to bed. I'm like, did I really change other than the gray hair and the pimples and, and then the weight? And I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> There's a lot, physical change a lot. But in the heart, what I know is this. What I know about me is this. The person that, were, that they were talking about, the me before, that was all me. And that is still very much me if Christ is not in my heart. And I know that God means a lot to me because I meant a lot to Him. And I know that I can fail the second after I say this. I know. But I also know that God always tells me, I love you. I already paid for your sins. It is finished. That was you before, but that's paid for. Amen. Let's go to the next point before I... <clears throat> for a second, why? Why? Why, right? The what and the why. The purpose of the mystery. What's the purpose of the mystery? What's the purpose of the church? Right? So we know what now, right? The what is the dispensation. We know what, what dispensation is. We know what the mystery is. It's the church. What's the purpose of the church? Or why? Why the purpose? Why the need for the church? Just think. This is the Living Bible Translation. I know we read New King James earlier, and you can compare it. This is Paul speaking still. Just think. Though I did nothing to deserve it, and though I am the most useless Christian there is, yet I was the one, I was the one chosen for this special joy of telling the Gentiles the glad news of the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And to explain to everyone that God is the Savior of the Gentiles too, just as He who made all things had secretly planned from the very beginning. Now, Paul was aware of the fact that he was ministering not because he deserved it or deserved to serve, <laughs> um, but solely by grace. The, close, the closer we get to the Lord, the more we are aware of the sin in our lives. Amen? If you have an experience that you're not getting closer to the Lord, if you still think that you're a good person as you get closer to the Lord, like, oh, I'm glad God chose me in His team because I'm one of the best people there is. The more you get closer to the Lord, the more you should see, like, why did He choose me? This holy God choosing somebody like me. The more closer you get, because look at Paul. At this point, Paul has done a lot for the church. Why would he say I'm the most useless Christian there is? I don't deserve it. The closer Paul walked to the Lord, walked with the Lord, and the more closer he got to the Lord, the more amazed he was by God for choosing him. And the least of the apostles, he said, that's in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. The least of all saints, that's in Ephesians 3, 8. 
the chief of sinners. That's in 1 Timothy 1.15. To minister the unsearchable riches of His grace. Why was He the one chosen to do it? That's what He's saying. But He praises God for it. So what's the big deal? The big deal is God making that decision. Choosing Paul. Somebody like Paul. The big deal is God choosing us. God choosing you over your sister who's nicer than you. God choosing you. Now Paul didn't talk about philosophy. He didn't talk about psychology or theology. The message of Paul's ministry was Jesus exclusively. Jesus exclusively. God not only appointed Paul as a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles through grace, but anointed him with power. Because it was God who chose him, and it was God who empowered him. It's the same thing with us. If God chose you, God will empower you. This verified Paul's apostleship. Isn't that an amazing thing? Paul, the the biggest persecutor of the church during his time, was chosen to be an apostle. Now here are the verses that I uh, read earlier, I, recite, I, I mentioned. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Paul saying this about himself. No sense of pride whatsoever. No patting on the back like, I deserve it. Because I persecuted the church of God. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is the faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He's the biggest sinner by his own confession. Now what better way to illustrate God's grace to the Gentile world, to the entire world, but to use a person who not only was the Hitler of his time to the Christians, but to use that same person who killed and persecuted and imprisoned Christians to be the one to live his life completely surrendered for the Lord. What a better testimony. And his reason, the why, to show, all, to, show to all the rulers in heaven how perfectly wise he is when all of his family, Jews and Gentiles alike, are seen to be joined together in His church in just the way He had always planned it through Jesus our Lord. God created the church to be a public testimony. God created the church to be a public testimony. You were saved, all of us were saved to be that testimony to the world of God's grace, of God's love, that is our calling. Some of you, you, you say, I'm looking for a calling. I'm still waiting for God's calling. You have it. You're just not reading it or you're not hearing it or you could care less about it. Everybody has a calling. Now, every, every, every believer has a different gift. There's different gifts, right? But everybody's called to live a holy life. Everybody is compelled to live a holy life. All of us represent Christ. So every time we fail, we fail the Lord, right? But then just always hear that whisper, 
it's okay. I knew you were going to screw up anyway. <laughs> but, you know, we shouldn't use a, that as an excuse to not, to not live for the Lord. But we, sh- we should know that love of Him and we should see it as, as, as something to, to motivate ourselves to say, Lord, I want to live for You. Now imagine if, if somebody, if you are in a relationship with someone that because they know that you love them, they'll just keep screwing up. And they don't care. That, that, there's no love there. Right? Just because they know that you're going to be there for them and they're going to continue to do it over and over again, whatever that offense may be. We all know that us, if we were the receiving pers- uh, uh, person of that, that relationship, we're going to end it, correct? Especially us Christian, American Christians here, right? The world revolves around us, right? <laughs> it's not a good thing, but why do we do it to the Lord? Why do we do it to Him? Now, the church is to be a public testimony of the grace of God, to make everyone see. This is a place where anyone can go to receive a constant flow of mercy, and a place to hear the message of the gospel. Yet the church not only declares the truth to humanity, God also also designed the church to display the truth to angels. Did you guys see it? The method of Paul's ministry was not simply to allow all men to hear about the mystery of the indwelling Christ, but to make them see it through the working of God in his own life. Now, Paul never, never glorified himself. Paul was always good to point to Christ. And we're the ones, we are the ones that make the, the proper uh, assessment that Paul really lived for the Lord and that we admire him, correct? We say, man, if I can only be half as Paul. But Paul would always say, it is not I, but Christ. But why us in return? In, 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 in us, in our, in our lives right now, why do we always want the credit, right? Oh, you don't want the credit? Who here has social media? Why do you feel bad when you don't get enough likes? Or you didn't have the likes or the hearts, right? Why would you even care to post if you didn't want anybody to notice? <laughs> we're that, we're, we live in that era. We live in that society. We live in that culture that we want the pat on the back. We want the recognition. We want everybody to know what we have done and what we have accomplished in life. And sadly, even us Christians, we want everyone to know what we've done for the Lord. We want everyone to know how many buy-in boxes we sent to the Philippines. We We want everybody to know all the good things that we've done for the Lord. Right? We want everybody to know how faithful we are. But the only thing that truly matters is that our lives should just completely reflect God's glory. Amen? All the good things we want everybody to know, but the bad things we just want to what? Now, Paul is a minister of the gospel, not only that all men might see the mystery of Christ, but also the angels. Look at this. Next slide. Please. Is that the last one? Okay. Please turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 1.12. No wonder. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. 
when they spoke of the things that they have been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And look at this. Even angels long to look into these things. That's 1 Peter 1.12. Now the angels are studying us, intrigued that God will reside in people like us. Because, you know, the angels, they're only, they're not allowed to make any mistake. One mistake, they go to the other team. But for us men, why? Why did God, what's the big deal with us human beings that the angels are not given the privilege of? We are the ones that Christ died for. We are the ones that Christ paid for. We are the ones that God came down from heaven for. Not the angels. That's why the angels are constantly intrigued by the gospel, by the grace of God. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you could care less about grace, I wonder why. You probably think you deserve it already, huh? You can't wait for your crown. The grace of God is what brought you to be with the Lord in the first place. And it's the grace of God that will keep you. It's not your many things that you've done for the Lord. You've done those things because out of your love for God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, again, as a recap, I have 10 minutes left. The what? The mystery revealed is the church made of Gentiles saved by grace and of Jewish people who also are not saved, are saved not by inheritance by, through Abraham, but by faith through Jesus Christ. Now, both Gentiles and Jews are saved by grace. And both Jews and Gentiles make the church of God. Now, why? The purpose of ch the church, we discussed one purpose tonight, because I'm being nice, is to glorify God through our lives as being that funnel of His grace and mercy by us belonging into his, in His family. Now, this is, in conclusion, this is, this is what... Uh, Max Anders, a theologian, wrote in his commentary on Ephesians. I quote, We simply do not understand the degree of separation that existed between the two groups of people. It is like saying there is no longer be blacks, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, no longer be blacks and whites in South Africa. It is like saying that there will no longer be Catholic and Pro Protestants in Ireland. It is like saying there will no longer be liberals and conservatives in the United States. <laughs> Impossible is basically what we're saying, right? All these people are going to be made one, end of quote. In Paul's day, that's why he's so excited. What's the big deal? Why is Paul always, he's been talking about it for two chapters now. What's the big deal? Because the animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles was so strong that if there was, there was a, a, a Samaritan woman, a Gentile woman giving birth, the Jewish lady or woman will not help them. They will not help them. They will run to the other side because they feel at that time they're helping to bring another degraded human being in the world. Jews would not even go through the Samar Sam uh, Samarian, uh, area, Samaritan area because it was a non-Jewish country. They would rather walk 150 miles out of their way around the border 
than to be caught entering into the city of the people that they call dogs. So when the gospel, that's why Paul is making such a big, it's so big for Paul. That's why, this is, that's the biblical background. So what's the big deal? Because it is a big deal for the Jews and the Gentiles to become one because of Jesus Christ. It's such a big deal. Now what's happening with our world right now? You know, I was tempted. I, I shared this with the Ferrers and I shared it with my wife. I was tempted to start a peaceful protest for the Asian Americans because of the, the crimes that's being committed to the Asians in the country. And I know I can put it together. I know I can get my homeboys there from the past, you know, with the big mean tattoos and have them wear just strap up. I know I could do it just to kind of relay the message. Do not touch our women. My wife was good to remind me. She goes, you know, you're a Christian now, right? <laughs> Not only that, you're a pastor too. <sighs> because the separation, the race wars, these things that's being told to us, this thing that we're, we're, it's so easy to fall into it. So what's the big deal? The big deal is this. I should remind myself, we should all remind ourselves that we're a Christian first before our nationality. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now that is the big deal. Jesus putting, putting those two cultures together. Jesus uniting them because of His blood. So isn't that a big deal? That's a big deal. I praise God that God pl pl placed that word international in our church's name. Because no matter what the F is, whether it was a Filipino before, it's first now, right? I think I said that wrong, didn't I? Because <laughs> this F-I-C-F, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. I just saw my sister's face and I already know. Whatever... International, I'm so glad we have international. I didn't even know that was a trap. Right? The international, it's like every nation is welcome. Because you know what? If you have a problem with Asians, when you go to heaven, guess what? We'll be there. <laughs> I think we're the ones going to be serving the food. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we're going to be there. I'm going to be part of the kitchen ministry there. Right? God is good. Amen? Amen? What's the big deal? God is the big deal. Jesus has called us to live a holy life. Jesus has called us through His blood, spilled His blood for us because He loved us. Because He loves us. And we are all called to live a holy life. What's the big deal? We need to reflect that. We need to live that. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your message for us tonight. We thank you for your people that you brought in this, into this building. I pray, Father God, for that soul that have not surrendered to you, Father God. I pray that this is the evening that they will do so, that they will admit that they are a sinner and that they need a Savior, that they recognize the gift that you've given them in the cross, Father God, for you loved them so much you gave your Son to die on the, on the cross to pay for all, everyone's sins. Father, I pray, Father God, for those who are discouraged, 
I pray that you encourage them, Lord God. I pray for healing for those who are spiritually sick and for those who are physically sick. I pray for unity, Father, for broken relationships. I pray, Father God, for wisdom for those who are in trouble. I pray for a rescue, Father God. Be with us, Father. I pray that the truth that we've heard here tonight, we will live it out, Lord God, past these walls. All this we ask in your son's mighty name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. 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 And if you have anything you if you have any decisions you want to make this evening, if you want to accept Christ as your Lord, please come up so we can recognize you. If you've been visiting us for quite some time and you'd like to be become a part of this church, please come up so we can recognize you. If I can please have the deacons up here with me. Or if you just need prayers. Please come up so we can pray for you. Pito Orly, if you could please be there on that side. Let's all stand as we close out.